0: This is episode two of Everyday Wellness, Fertility Lessons from a True Renaissance Woman with Sarah Russell, Nutritional Therapy Practitioner. I'm Dr. Kelly Donahue, Clinical Health Psychologist, here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, Functional Nutritionist and Nurse Practitioner. Let's get started. Welcome to Everyday Wellness wellness is the result of the decisions that you make every day. It's your mindset and the thoughts you believe. Wellness is the food you put in your body and the relationship you have with yourself and others. Wellness is your work and meaning. Join us on Everyday Wellness as we explore ways that you can choose wellness today.
1: Hello, hello. Well, we are really excited today to have the very esteemed Renaissance woman, Sarah Russell, um, as our podcast interviewee today. And she is um, not only a, a colleague of ours, but truly, and I, I use this term and I, and I mean it with true sincerity, a true Renaissance woman. Uh, she has such a breadth of experience and background um, and her focus uh, in, within her own clinical practices on fertility and female hormonal health. Um, but she has a really rich, uh, background, which I'll let her delve into. Um, she actually lives in Italy, which sounds wondrously romantic, uh, to me right now, as opposed to living in hot, steamy Northern Virginia. Um, but, uh, welcome Sarah. We're so excited to have you here today.
2: Thank you so much, Cynthia. And thank you to, uh, to both you and Kelly for inviting me to this wonderful and exciting podcast and, uh, Thank you so much for the beautiful introduction.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. I would love for you to share more about your background because I feel like that in and of itself has really influenced your, your area of focus, um, you know, not only personally, but also professionally.
2: Sure. Yeah. So actually, I, uh, I came to nutrition actually from um, an original standpoint of really experiencing hunger and poverty as a young kid. Um, we we lived in Tehran um, for a few years in the late 1970s, and we were kind of stuck there during and after the revolution broke out, because my brother was born right at the beginning of all, of all that chaos, and it, he was not healthy enough for us to just up and leave when things got bad. So uh, we ended up leaving all our possessions behind and, um, and starting our life over, basically with both my parents, jobless. and. Three small kids and very little money for food, and um, I, I spent basically my whole preschool years, um, with, with the experience of hunger, and basically building all my interpersonal relationships around the the hope that the person that I that I was making friends with, whether adult or kid or you know, uh, no matter who it was. Um, would, would give me something to eat. And then we moved to the Tuscan countryside when I was seven. And that was an amazing experience because food grew from the ground and, (laughs) and I fell in love with foraging, uh, in particular with wild herbs, mushrooms, and rose hips and other interesting berries like blackberries. And, uh, um, I spent some time, um, just gathering stuff from the woods and learning all about different, Herbs and um, which mushrooms could be eaten and which shouldn't be. <laughs> I'm still alive, so I guess I did a good job. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> right. so, um, and um, and and really just fell in love with food and nutrition and the the concept of abundance. And then when I was 14 um, and living in the middle of the Nevada desert, I. I thought, okay, I, I'm going to be a nutritionist when I grew when I grew up. So I went to the nearest library and looked for nutrition books. And sadly, I don't know if it was the library collection or if it was just the late 1980s, uh, early 1990s. It was '91, I think. Um, nonetheless, the sadly, all the nutrition books were about megadosing on synthetic multivitamins, and I was like, oh, that's not what I want to do. So I yeah. ended up becoming a nerdy academic instead, uh, and then discovered. Uh, that there are actually food-based nutritional training programs, not Mm -hmm. before getting my PhD in Italian (laughs) Renaissance literature. So uh, I went from studying um, consent versus coercion to sex and marriage in the medieval and early modern Italian fictional tradition and in canon law, nonetheless, uh, to working on complex health cases, including, in particular, um, fertility, pregnancy, and uh, complex health cases in general in adults and children. That I, I
0: is think, quite the story. Yeah.
1: I know, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what was it about fertility that made you so interested? What made you want to specialize in that area?
2: You know it's so interesting because um, a lot of people assume that um, that be- because that was the area that got me so excited about signing up for a nutritional training program um, that I probably had a struggle with it. I-, I like to joke that it's that fertility challenges are basically almost one of the few health problems I've never had. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, I, um, I, I'm i lucky enough to have three kids and it was when I was at home recovering from a c-section which I had because I had a full placenta previa with my last pregnancy. My son is now almost seven and I was at home with him and um, finally had the time to read the book Nourishing Traditions that my acupuncturist had recommended to me when I was in the last year of writing my dissertation and I I remember I had opened the the introduction and I was like, no, this book is going to change my life. I can't read it right now. Mm-hmm. I have to finish my dissertation. So when I was at home with, uh, with Gregorio, this was a couple years after I had opened and closed the book. I re I started reading it again and I was like, Oh my gosh, it's such a blessing, you know, to, to be here with, you know, with this beautiful baby and to have, you know, what health I do have and to have, at least some access to, you know, good real food here in, in Berkeley, where the food culture is, is so vibrant. And, um, and I thought it would be just so wonderful to give this, um, the gift of nutritional knowledge to other people, especially um, people who are just struggling mm-hmm. with a desire to, ha- to have a healthy child and, and haven't attained that.
1: It's absolutely so, fascinating. I mean, I, it's interesting how you, you know, you lived in different parts of the world and, and how that so strongly influenced you. I think when you said to me that, or you said um, earlier, just talking about, you know, when you moved to Italy to Tuscany, and it was fascinating for you to be able to eat things that grew out of the earth. Um, you know, did you have any formal training as a child or you just probably taught yourself as you went?
2: So, you know, my dad, um, he was he was a very interesting man. He was a, he was a poet, but he had um, a, a, a biology and, and a botany background. He was basically a naturalist at heart, even though he was a modernist poet. And um, he saw that I was passionate about nature and about, um, you know, herbs. And he taught me a lot. He knew a lot about uh, medicinal herbs. I remember him. Uh, feeding me abundant portions of stinging nettle when every time I would have any kind of respiratory or allergic afflictions, and um, I, I also remember him um, encouraging me to uh, to bring home things like rose hips and uh, just various wild aromatic herbs that I would find in the woods, and he, he would always get excited about it, and and I felt so um, rewarded and appreciated by his
1: enthusiasm and encouragement. Oh, that's wonderful. What a wonderful bonding experience to to go through with your father, you know, as you're each teaching one another. I know, um, you know, through our work together, sometimes we collaborate. I have a book that I need to start reading uh, that you recommended to me about, um, you know, herbology. And it's just, it's fascinating, it, it, especially because of my Western medicine training, it's always very humbling to me to recognize that there are things now in nature that I come across that, can be equally, if not even more profoundly powerful than things that are created in the lab. So I applaud you for continuing to share that information because it inspires others, you know, including myself, to think beyond the proverbial Western medicine box, right?
2: Sure, yeah, well, thanks, Cynthia. I, I'm so happy to hear that you're uh, inspired to, to go down this direction. I think it's so exciting and, uh, and really rewarding.
1: No, it definitely is. And do you feel that it's, you know, after you finished your your um, NTA training, and you started, you know, working in in the nutritional space? uh, Was it clear to you that you were going to work, um, work, you know, predominantly focusing on female hormonal function and disruption? I mean, were those things that you you intrinsically knew you were going to gravitate towards? Or did that kind of organically evolve for you?
2: So I actually signed up for the Nutritional Therapy Association um, training program, really with this deep desire to work in this area. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting because a couple of years ago I opened up the the file with my original letter where I applied, um, and I basically explained my vision. And it was really it gave me goosebumps because everything I said I wanted to do that was exactly what I was doing three years later. I'm now five years out of graduating and I'm just, I feel just so um, excited. And it's really interesting because I went into NTA wanting to focus on female hormonal health and, you know, especially uh, preconception, pregnancy, of course, you know, the preconception and fertility area, both from a, a balanced male plus female perspective, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, young babies and, and, um, and the health of young children. Um, from, you know, from a big, from a bigger picture perspective, obviously, because it's always in context. Right. But, um, but it's so interesting because my initial year and a half in practice, I, I was slightly frustrated because I wasn't really getting enough, uh, from my, from my perspective, people who fell into this niche area that I had initially, um, define for myself. And then I, I really started realizing after a few months that it was wonderful to have such a diverse clientele come to me. And what, um, what I ended up doing was circling back to fertility, preconception, pregnancy, and young children from the perspective of someone with very broad experience with people with all kinds of health problems and how that general um, And diversified experience in my nutritional therapy practice has really informed my fertility work because it's really about not just the type of problems a person comes to you with, but about individualizing the work with every single person, no matter what their health concern is.
0: I loved what you had on your website related to that. You were, you know, you're talking about looking at the individual and you focus a lot on addressing the root causes. And the first one you listed on your website was stress, which I definitely resonated with. This is a psychologist. I see this all the time in my practice. So I'm wondering if you could just take us down the road and tell us how you've seen stress impact this in different individuals.
2: Yeah, I mean, we are under so many kinds of stress. Um, and the one, basically, the first thing that I tell people when I give them a nutritional plan is a, a nutrition, obviously, lifestyle plan as well. Um, I always tell them, look, don't, um, don't take this too seriously. Because if you start looking at this as, you know, must and mustn't, then you will be so stressed that you won't enjoy the food that you're eating. So we always have to contextualize everything. Um, and so that's one example, you know, even just striving to, to do all the right things can ultimately become a source of its own source of stress in a way, and its own obstacle to healing. So I really do try to make that the very first thing that I talk to every single client about, um, improved nutrition really is, is not just about improving what you eat, but including your relationship, um, with all the kinds of layers of health. You, if you can't really digest your food and absorb your nutrients if you're super stressed, as, as many people are. So I always really try to emphasize that piece of the, because I don't want my you know, my nutritional guidance to be another layer of stress in an already stressed person's life. So what we try to do, obviously, I, I come to the let's talk about stress side of things not from a psychological perspective as you know as you can do which is a wonderful way to integrate with with nutritional therapy but more from a general you know we're all people we all have some kind of stress in our lives perspective so many types of stress that I see are you know that quest for, pers- for perfection type of stress um, but also uh, overworking not sleeping well enough Uh, not eating enough uh, or, you know, obviously on the other end of the spectrum kind of comfort eating Mm -hmm. or, you know, rewarding and punishing yourself with, uh, you know, by treating yourself or taking away foods or, you know, those kinds of things. Um, And also the stress that comes to us from exposures to toxic stress, exposures to, um, to pathogens exposures to imbalanced gut flora so things that are going wrong you know from a, a microbial uh, perspective and also um, the the stress that comes to us obviously from not sleeping enough which is such a problem today and I would add to that the stress of overuse of technological devices mm-hmm. I mean we are not unplugging enough in in today's world I I say this as a little bit of a Luddite even though I have a I have a a remote uh nutritional therapy practice so I could not function professionally without technology but at the same time I don't have a smartphone I don't have a tablet um my internet is wired it just stays in one place and 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 it um I'm confined to specific hours basically for using internet. So I, f- I find that to me a, a great um, liberation from a stress that I see being really endemic in today's society. I think oh. that we really kind of as a society stress ourselves with the expectation of being available to others all the time and not having enough time for reflection or even relationships. I think that our relationships ultimately are, are being really stressed by these, um, by these pressures
1: Oh, I so agree with you. It's it's interesting. My my segment that I did this morning was talking about, you know, that everyone on TV wants it to be something that's sensational. So it's sleep hacks is what they wanted. Um, but there was a whole, you know, there was a section on nutrition and there was a, a section on technology. And I was saying, you know, we're in an overly stimulated environment. So that completely resonates with everything that, that you're saying. And it's interesting, you know, Brian Hoyer, who's part of our tribe too, Um, He talks about ancestral health and ancestral living. And the more that you recognize that our lives are so largely overrun by electronic devices, um, even though we try our darndest, it's just so easy to get trapped in that. It's, it's almost like a hamster wheel. Um, Even explaining to clients that, you know, I'm, I, the longer I do this, the more I recognize I need to take more time away from electronics, because once you get that blue light, you know, that junk light, You know, infiltration in your life. It's you know, you're not connecting with nature, having opportunities to connect with others because you're looking at a a device. Um, You know, we're guilty of that. We're certainly not perfect, but um, it's interesting how you look generationally. You know, my parents' generation, or I should say my father's generation, because my mother was is was pretty high up in information technology, but. You know, my father's generation, when they left their job, they left their job at the end of the day. Nowadays, that's not the case. Yeah. People are feeling obligated and connected and accessible, and uh, that's a huge stressor. I have clients who will occasionally text me at odd hours or send me emails at odd hours, and I, I I see it, but I'm choosing not to respond to it because I think it's it's detrimental for me and for them. It's that you know, constant instant yeah. gratification, all those dopamine releases in the brain, which. We know are you know creating a cycle of even for adults where people are addicted to technology. So I think that's that's been a really important distinction about another stressor that that certainly will you know hardwire our brains to not be at uh, at their best, primed and ready to be doing the kinds of activities we should be doing.
2: Definitely, yeah, I agree. And you know, even as someone who doesn't have a smartphone, I do realize that I spend more time on my computer than I probably should I'm always trying to optimize my work-life balance mm-hmm. um, and and I'm actually really excited to say that I'm moving from having uh, a home office to not having internet at home anymore which is how we were in Berkeley it's just that we're moving now to to a place that's close enough to a town that I'm going to be in a co-working space with an internet connection and and I'm I'm going to have my working hours and then that's it. And it feels so liberating and so exciting.
1: Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered... This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to try armra.com slash Cynthia 15, or enter Cynthia 15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia 15. You definitely want to check it out. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, I think exciting and terrifying at the same time. And for me, I just think, oh my gosh, that's, that's fantastic. And I should aspire to that, but oh my gosh, that's terrifying. It's that, you know, that, that fear of missing out, they call it FOMO. You know, everyone's concerned that if they take 10 steps away, that suddenly they're going to miss out, but they won't be missing out because they're going to actually be creating, you know, the relationships and the connections with their loved ones, the people that really matter, as opposed to the kind of faux social media realm that exists. Kelly, do you see much of that in your practice with your own clients?
0: Definitely. And I think being connected all of the time poses other problems too. Uh, the fear of missing out and also the deep comparisons that mm-hmm. people do based on the highlight reels that are posted on things like Facebook and Instagram, where you only see the beautiful pictures of mm-hmm. the meals and the perfectly dressed, well-behaved children. It's yeah. it's not a reality, uh, but... Oftentimes when people aren't feeling well physically, emotionally, or mentally, it's much easier to make a comparison from a place of lack. So showing that you don't have those things when all of these other people have so much going on in their lives. And, you know, Sarah, I'm wondering, (laughs) given your worldly travels, if you see both in your clients and just in the culture, how being less connected like you are now and are going to be in your next move, how that influences health in general and maybe even hormonal health in particular.
2: Yeah. So I definitely um, see that the younger kind of more connected generations, and I have to say that Italians are definitely, if anything more, you know, quote unquote connected and uh, attached to their technological devices than, than Americans are um, if anything. And, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely see the, the younger generations in particular being, um, kind of sabotaged in many ways, both in their physical, emotional and interpersonal health from, um, you know, from these influences and from these unhealthy attachments with, uh, you know, with these devices. And as you were saying, very rightly, the, the pressure um, of comparison and the desire to emulate the perfection and the, you know, the, I'm, I'm showing you the best parts of my life so you will assume that this is how I always live. Mm-hmm. You know, my children are always clean and smiling and my food is always perfectly plated and, and the light is always <laughs> shining, you know. Uh, that's not really anybody's life. Uh, But I do think that that definitely, um, you know, not only from um, a neurotransmitter um, at electromagnetic frequencies perspective, which is definitely a huge, huge deal. I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, our colleague, Brian Hoyer, Cynthia, because I I really, uh, really like his work a lot. Um, But also, it's important to keep in mind that there really isn't any large research in terms of of how all of these things affect different parts of our life and interact with different things. Now um, coming from the perspective of mercury research, there have been some really important studies that document the, um, the fact that electromagnetic frequencies exposure is positively correlated with a higher and faster rate of off gassing of elemental mercury from people's amalgam fillings. So, and this is associated obviously in turn with, um, with a lot of health problems. Now I'm, I'm sure that it's not just an issue for people who, who have some kind of low dose chronic mercury exposure or accumulation in their bodies, which by the way, even people without amalgam fillings usually have, um, but it's also other things that the EMFs are interacting with. I mean, we have a very complex and also very delicate um, system of biochemical regulation, which includes, among other things, our hormonal balance. And um, we're really underestimating, I think, the potential for, um, for technology and, and especially these high... Uh, exposures to increasingly heavy doses of electromagnetic frequencies to imbalance our health, you know, from a hormonal perspective and also from a um, digestive and, you know, <laughs> every single mm-hmm. functional area of health could be uh, included. But, you know, one of my big concerns with um, with pregnancy is um, obviously, you know, Beginning with preconception, and so many different issues can come up. I mean, I could really talk for hours about this, but you know, sometimes when couples are struggling to conceive, a lot of the time the husband has has a secret porn addiction, and this is not something that I overtly address because, for many different reasons, often the wife doesn't even know about it. But I've worked with couples for long enough to be able to see. Oh my gosh, this is an issue. Maybe I should just you know tack on a in case list of resources to the handouts, um, you know, very uh, among many other different types of resources and just let the guy take it in and, and not feel humiliated or stigmatized or, um, you know, in, in some way, um, identified as a problem, but giving him the resources, should he admit to himself, okay, this is an issue for me. Oftentimes then, you know, uh, that in combination with um, better nutrition, better lifestyle, going to bed earlier, unplugging from devices, um, all of these things contribute to a healthier uh, intimacy within the couple and makes it a lot, you know, ma- removes a lot of stress from the couple's life so that they c- it, it is easier for them to conceive uh, a baby. But again, you know, even just telling women how important it is not, uh, not to carry around a cell phone. Um, in their bra
1: um, who does that and, by and the way <laughs> I'm like I hear that and I'm just like that would be the last place I would think to carry my phone uh, maybe that's just because I'm weird but when I hear that I'm always like really I get it the men have it in their pockets but I don't get it having it in your bra like that would be the last place um, I would think to put my phone but again that could just be my own quirkiness <laughs>
2: It's amazing how many women carry the, the, their cell phone in their bra. I've never done it personally, but, yeah, um, amazing. you know. It, um, but, you know, even pregnant women with, with their belly growing big, you don't want the cell phone to be carried too close to the, to the belly either. And, of course, sure. you know, purchasing a, um, a shielding cover for cell phones if, if one does have a cell phone that, that is being carried around um, close to their person is very important, uh, and, of course, not overusing the phone, uh, the smartphone, or other similar devices when one has a, a newborn that is being frequently held and breastfed. Because, of course, you know, one of my big concerns is, um, you know, we don't want um, the the skin-to-skin, the eye-to-eye, the face-to-face, mm. the smile, that relationship between parent and child to be somehow blocked and shielded and interrupted you know, shielded in a negative sense, just really interrupted by the presence of this device that has never been in in human families ever until now, and um, and it's really a little terrifying when you see um, when when you see this happen over and over again. And you know, of course, I I never judge uh, people, you know, uh, based on what I see them doing. Uh, but I, but I am very concerned for future generations, and um, you know our health in general as a society. Um, when when I see this happen, and you know when I see toddlers playing with with their parents' phones just to be entertained and kept, uh, you know, quiet and still, it's it's scary.
1: Well, and it's it's interesting because obviously my children are ten and twelve, so the advent of smartphones really didn't impact um, parenting for me until the last few years. And I think about, you know, for me, you know, I I breastfed both of them and enjoyed it, enjoyed that whole process, enjoyed, you know, when they were toddlers and preschoolers, and I just, I didn't have a smartphone. And I I think about lost opportunities. And and again, there's no judgment from my perspective, because I'm sure other generations look at what had the way that we're raising our children have very strong opinions. Sure. I do I can appreciate that let lost connection those lost opportunities not being as present um, as you could be as a parent and how that can impact that bond. How do you see with women that are you know childbearing years and beyond, how do you see some of the lifestyle things choices that people are making? Do you see the same impact on the endocrine system because really that's what it comes down to and we're talking about. Um, you know, hormonal health and women, it's really the endocrine system is, is largely what we're really focusing on. Um, how do you see, you know, these technologies and these toxins and things we're exposed to in the environment, how are they impacting people as they head into perimenopause and beyond? Sure. Well, you know, even, you know, talking about um, the reproductive
2: years, one of the big th- a couple of big things that we haven't really talked about are plastics. In various Mm -hmm. forms, um, and and from various sources, including you know, um, people who are making such a concerted effort to drink clean spring water, but they're maybe purchasing it from from uh, you know those soft glass. uh, I'm sorry, soft plastic Mm -hmm. bottles that can uh, leach so much endocrine disrupting um, plastic uh, byproducts into the water that into that clean water that they that they're drinking. So even just helping. Mm educate uh, couples as to the importance of, um, you know, sourcing not just what's contained in the container, but also the materials of the container itself. Mm -hmm. Um, Drinking, uh, you know, drinking clean water, not being exposed to the the toxicants that are often included in in, uh, municipal tap water. I am just consistently shocked and appalled. I don't really know why I'm still shocked and appalled after all these years. at, at the difference between the heavy metal uh, levels in hair tests of people who drink tap water versus people who drink spring water. It is yeah. absolutely shocking. Um, but, you know, we, we trust so much that, you know, that our tap water is clean, and it isn't. It's, it, you know, it's full of uh, byproducts from even, you know, as a person who's allergic to multiple things, I'm, you know, I wouldn't drink tap water just because of the antibiotic, Residues mm-hmm. that are likely to be in there, but for uh, men and women of reproductive age, your you know a big concern should be the uh, the byproducts of um, of birth control pills, mm-hmm. of other pharmaceuticals that can disrupt hormonal balance, of pesticides that are known to be endocrine disruptors, of glyphosate that can wreak havoc on nutritional status in the body, heavy metals, such as lead, lead is a very common toxicant in, in tap water. Um, and, um, and it wreaks havoc on the the human endocrine system and, and really depletes fertility, um, partly because the body is trying to, uh, to prevent us from reproducing in such a dangerous state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, You know, the list can go on, of course, you know, fluoride often in many American municipalities is an added um, chemical um, which can definitely be uh, neurotoxic to developing fetuses. So, uh, and of course, such a problem for the fertility of especially women who tend to have a weaker thyroid function, um, which is a huge barrier to fertility and pregnancy in, in so many women today. Um, And I think
1: there's, you know, there's that whole, you know, conventional dogma that we don't question, we just do. And so, you know, much like you mentioned about fluoride in our water or fluoride treatments at the dentist, which is a whole other tangential conversation, um, you know, just encouraging the people that we work with to ask why they, why something is necessary. You know, I um, have finally gotten the dentist to stop asking to give the kids fluoride treatments um, they finally put a note on the chart. I said, you just don't need to continue asking because my answer isn't going to change. And they were very nice about it, but it was like every six months we would have this conversation again. I would say, well, it's really not necessary to have this conversation because my answer will be the same as it was six months ago, 12 months ago, 18 months ago. Um,
0: Kelly, I know
1: know that you, you know, Kelly lives in a city, city, I'm in the suburbs. Um, Do you, what do you use for drinking water at home, Kelly?
0: We use uh, a filter on our refrigerator um, and we also use filters on our baths and showers too. That was a huge lesson for me when I went mm-hmm. through the NTA training. Y- you think about, at least I thought about toxins as coming in through things that I was eating, but I was less mm-hmm. aware of the presence of them in the water, like you were talking mm-hmm. about, Sarah, and how that can enter your body when you shower every day or when you give your child a bath and they want to play in there for 35 minutes. I mean, it's a huge place for, for exposure. Um, But I think, you know, the water thing is huge. We are Mm -hmm. drinking water should be drinking water throughout the day. So having that as a foundationally healthy source for our bodies is huge. Um, And Sarah, wondering if you can kind of expand on the other things that people are putting into their body and talk about, how a nutrient-dense whole foods diet helps with hormone regulation, fertility, preconception.
2: Sure, Yeah. Um, you know, another big source of toxicity that can, that can really be um, such a problem for so many women's fertility is makeup and, and, mm-hmm. and other cosmetics. So many women don't realize that the toxic substances inside the makeup which they are often completely unaware of are entering the um, circulation via, um, via the skin. Um, and that can, it, you know, again, just like uh, with the tap water versus filtered water or spring water, uh, I, can see the, I can see women who are using, uh, you know, just regular old makeup. Um, I can see the difference between that and cleaner makeup companies or no makeup on a hair test. Um, and it's it's really shocking, you know, the, the impact on the hormonal system that just switching uh, your home and body care and cosmetic care regimens uh, can shift overall health and um, endocrine health. Um, so to answer the second part of your question, um, a nutrient-dense diet nourishes every aspect of, of the body and helps build um, fertility by build, you know, by providing the building blocks of hormonal balance by nourishing the mother's body and helping, you know, the, the mother's body feels safe and, um, and fertility is enhanced. Of course, when, uh, in, in in a situation where the body feels safe and not starved, which means of course, not just putting in uh, nutrient dense foods into the body, but also, uh, being able to digest the foods properly because you're not stressed as you're eating, you're chewing your food well, and, um, and you um, have any you know, supplemental digestive support that you may need in that phase of life. Um, and uh, by helping nourish the body, you're, you're providing it with the nutrients to help uh, build hormones. Hormones don't just happen on their own, they are nutritionally built. Um, just like neurotransmitters and, uh, enzyme systems and pathways, everything starts with nutrients. And, um, of course, fetal development, building a baby, having a healthy placenta, all of, all of those things that are so important during pregnancy, um, are also, um, very nutritional dependent. So, um, you know, just switching people uh, and it 's not about the nutrients that are listed on a package of uh, you know prenatal vitamins or even on food package pa- packages because just because those nutrients are listed on a bottle does not mean that your body can actually use them in those forms uh, just because you know a, a processed food uh, has been fortified with certain nutrients does not mean that those are the forms that your body can use. Especially at such a delicate time as preconception, pregnancy, and um, and the you know for breast milk production uh, and postpartum recovery, so it really is about going back to foods. It was so funny I was talking yesterday with um, with someone you know just a a random. um,
1: At some point, we've all been sold a big That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep?
2: new acquaintance who was asking me about my job. And when I told him that I was a nutritional therapist, he started talking to me about, you know, oh yeah, I know someone else who, who uh, sells some powdered supplement products. And I said, that's not what I do. I I help people (laughs) eat food, like real food. And he was like, like, like oh my gosh, that's so interesting. He said, "I, I definitely want to talk to you more about that. And he was just
0: so well,
1: surprised. Well, and it's yeah. that whole concept of food-like substances. Sorry, I think there's a little bit of a delay, so I didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, but it's that whole war on the food-like substances, things that are considered to be food but are actually more just chemicals than they are actual um, you know, plant nutrients or animal nutrients and how we're, as a society, starting to just accept that that's, that's seemingly very much the norm um, in our day-to-day existence.
2: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, and it, it just makes such a difference when I see people switch from standard American diet, with processed packaged foods, and even just uh, you know alongside um, commercial uh, standard prenatal vitamins to um, bioavailable prenatal vitamins. It makes a huge huge difference. I mean, if you're um, tracking your nutrients it may not look that different to to a software program or an app but it makes all the difference in the world i mean you can see people's um hair and skin change in front of your very eyes you can Mm -hmm. see obviously there's you you can um you can kind of imagine progress in many areas of nutritional therapy, I think, by being optimistic and, uh, you know, having a little bit of a placebo effect, but you can't fake that when somebody is infertile or has had miscarriages and then all of a sudden has a healthy baby that they've been able to conceive and bring to term. There's just no um, no more um, proof to me of the effectiveness of nutritional therapy in the context of uh, you know, a, a real food um, in an individualized uh, nutritional support program in the context of a healthy lifestyle. Um, there's just nothing more rewarding to me than um, than seeing people go going from not being able to uh, have a healthy baby to having one. It's just beautiful.
3: That's such, oh, a, that's such a special time, special time, time involved, to be involved in life, someone's life. Um, I know um, I don't know I don't know if Kelly, Kelly went through, and through and any until until challenges, but we before. certainly did. And of course, my eyes of course my eyes, eyes are now and wide, and open, you know, open, you know, energy. enormously going through um, our own nutrition training and then really being focused on female um, mental health. But um, um, you know, uh, recognizing that years of contraceptives were not really helping me in terms of how they masked the issue that I was having. Um, but having the ability um, to help, help someone get pregnant food with food as opposed to, to, to inject injecting medications or other type of other type reproductive therapy. therapies is pretty yeah. profound. I'm sure and I'm sure most, most people would prefer go that route as opposed to, to um, drugs um, that um, force your body to do things that it wouldn't do otherwise own. do on its own.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I do sometimes um, support women who are also, you know, mm-hmm. under the care of, of a reproductive mm-hmm. Um Endocrinologist and maybe taking some medications um, you know or even in 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 a couple of cases doing ivF um depending on on the person's situation they may have already decided that's their path or they may you know the advanced maternal age i worked um, I've worked with women well into their um, mid forties um, who really did feel like the the clock was ticking, and so sometimes it's a supplement and uh, to to reproductive endocrinology and oftentimes it 's an alternative i 've worked with uh couples who had who had tried i v f and failed and then just took a break from it did nutritional therapy and got pregnant and have uh you know now uh three and four year olds so it's it 's incredibly rewarding and uh, yeah
0: Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about your practice, what it looks like, and your programs? I know that you have two two programs that I saw on your website. One was called Feed Your Fertile Body, and one was called Feed Your Pregnant Body. Can you talk a little bit about those, please?
2: Yeah. So while uh, my nutritional therapy practice focuses very, very much on individualized uh, nutritional therapy um, when, when I'm working with clients who are going through preconception preparation and through pregnancy, there are certain foundations that are really constants for everyone. So when I developed, uh, the fertility program very early on in my practice, basically the first year that I was in practice, um, I developed the original version of the future fertile body program and had a different name at the time. Um, but, um, I did it essentially to help, um, people supplement their individualized nutritional therapy work focused on their own fertility journey. Um, and then their pregnancy journey, which is where the the pregnancy program originated. I, I had to, uh, develop that as a follow-up because I was, uh, successful enough that people were demanding a pregnancy program as well. Uh, and, um, Basically, it, it's a really great way to bring people together in a group setting. I also do sometimes um, use the programs on on a self on a self paced basis with individual couples um, that I am working with. But I find the group setting incredibly powerful and empowering because um, couples build community and connection and support and it often happens that uh, that they end up getting pregnant around the same time and having babies around the same time. And it's just so nice for them to have like a real food based community that they can look to for support. Um, Another thing that I'm really um, happy about is that the, these are programs that um, that other practitioners are using in their practices. So um, I originally developed these programs for my own clients and then Um, decided that it would be great uh, that other fertility and pregnancy focused practitioners would have access um, to these materials and not have to kind of reinvent the wheel all over again. So um, that's amazing. And now, yeah, thank you. Um, There are now a few few centers that are interested in integrating um, the fertility program into their uh, curriculum so that's very exciting and it will create a demand for more instructors in the areas where these centers operate so that's another uh, very exciting area of work for me to uh, fine-tune yeah. and develop. Now would that be within the EU or in the, or the United, United States, States are, or are you, not,
3: right. a, are you so not, not?
2: So far in the US I'm, I'm working on the um, on, on Europe as well, uh, I think it, it, it's a little bit of a different demographic, uh, but I'm I'm um, I'm looking at starting to get booths at conferences in uh, in the UK, starting there and just kind of seeing uh, from there what what comes out of it. I really think that um, you know, given the success rate of the couples that have gone through the fertility program and, and the and the happiness of the women who have you know, and of course, you know, their, their spouses, um, who have gone through the pregnancy program, uh, the feedback has been really good. I really am so, um, grateful and gratified by the, by the feedback of the women who've gone through the uh, feature pregnant body program and who have said that it was really, um, such a great balance of being informative without being scary. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's, it's a fine line, Mm -hmm. you know, um, You want to inform people so that they're not uh, putting themselves at risk. But pregnancy is such a delicate time and you you really don't want to terrify people because that goes back to the stress component that we were talking about earlier. It is not good for a pregnancy for, for you to be terrified. Exactly,
3: exactly. Well, just thinking about the impact of
2: a growing and
1: developing a fetus, if you're releasing all sorts of catecholamines and, um, you know, tapping into your adrenals, I mean, that's that's definitely something that would be detrimental, but I think it's all about balance in all areas of our lives, right? You know, finding that balance, our, yeah. finding balance if, if it's ever so elusive in our personal lives. And then Kelly had a
3: really good take on balance in our first podcast we did together where she said you know it's it's constant fine tuning It's there's never it's never as if you achieve balance and it stays there it's constantly finding this juggling um within your personal and professional life to make it work for you and your family
1: definitely yeah that's really well said Well, thank you. Well, Sarah, I want to be mindful of your time, especially in light of the fact that you're in the midst of a move, but I can't thank you enough. I know I speak for Kelly and myself for carving out a little bit of time to connect with us as well as our listeners. And can you tell
3: me how listeners can find you, how to reach you outside of this podcast?
2: Sure. Um, and thank you so much again for having me on the podcast. Um, I can be found at my website, buildnurturerestore.com. And um, I can be emailed at Sarah, with no H, at buildnurturerestore.com, no dots or anything um, um, between build, nurture, and restore. It's just all
1: attached. So, you know, it's, yeah. and it's funny that you mentioned no age, because I probably have 20 friends in my sphere that are named Sarah, and at any given, any given day when I'm sending an email, I have to remind myself, this is this Sarah with a with an H or without an H, uh,
3: just being mindful of you know the, the different spellings that are out there, and certainly there are many, and Sarah is just kind of one of those very classic names, it's multi-generational, uh, so I know lots of Sarah's yeah. so with different age, age ranges, for sure.
2: Yeah. It's so funny because in Italy, they, don't, they never put the H on Sarah, but they always forget the second L in my last name. <laughs> oh, <would> interesting. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Sarah, uh, again, we want to thank you for being here and ask you just one more question that we like to ask all of our podcast guests. So as our name implies, Everyday Wellness, we would like you to share some of your best tips, maybe just two tips for the listeners on what they could do to improve their wellness every day.
2: Yeah, um, definitely uh, go to bed, um, especially for women's hormonal health. The early, the more pre midnight hours of sleep you get, um, the better your hormonal health. So obviously, you know, don't go to bed at like seven p.m. That's a little silly, but go to bed ideally before uh, before ten thirty p.m. Um, and get early morning light exposure. So go outside early in the day so that you start to get the, the light receptors on, on your skin active for really good hormonal balance and good sleep-wake cycles. Those are my two top tips. I know that they're not food-related, but they will really help you get, um, integrate uh, with nutrition and other good lifestyle uh, strategies so that you're getting a lot more
1: mileage out of your food. No, I think those are great, and and I think you know it's it's interesting even for me. I mean, I'm all about going to bed earlier, but I hadn't thought or considered. I'm usually walking my dogs early in the morning, but how important that is, you know, for hormonal synthesis to get light exposure. Um, And so that's a really good one, even for me, just to kind of remind me, clue me, and that
3: I need to be doing more of that myself.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Cynthia and Kelly. It's been such an honor and pleasure to be on this podcast.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Cynthia and her work at chtwellness.com. And you can find out more about Kelly and her work at everydaytherapist.com. In addition, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to address, please email us at everydaywellnesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.